So when we try to capture this overall stress with um, traditional methods associated to, for example, um, assessing or quantifying training load, we kind of miss part of the picture because we only know about the training stimulus, for example, which we can quantify in different ways, but we still need to understand how the body is responding to that and also to the other stressors that play a role together with training. So here is when trade variability could be a useful uh, parameter to look at because Arterial variability is an indirect way to look at the body stress response. Welcome or welcome back to the Virtual Podcast, Running Long. I'm your host, Francesco Puppi, and I'm a professional athlete for Nike and also a veteran coach. Today's guest is Marco Altini, a data scientist, computer science engineer, and high-performance coach. He's also the founder of HRV for Training. In this episode, we will talk about heart rate variability, or HRV, which is defined as the variation in time between each heartbeat and is a parameter that can help us understand how we are responding and adapting to training and lifestyle stressors. One of our goals at VERT is giving our athletes the tools to understand the basic principles of training. Essentially, training is putting our body under some kind of stress in order to develop a biological response that stimulates an adaptation in our bodies. So, measuring HRV is an effective way to capture our body's response to stress, which is precisely the heart of the training mechanism. HRV is not simply another metric that correlates with training, such as volume or intensity. Here, the focus is on the response, and thus on how we are adapting to the stimulus of training and of any other stressors that we have in our lives. In this episode, we'll learn what heart rate variability is, how to measure it, how to interpret the data, how to use them to make conscious decisions related to training and lifestyle. Most importantly, we will approach the topic of training embracing its complexity without giving easy answers, but trying to understand the context and the reasons behind some choices and patterns that we observe and how technology can be a great tool to increase our knowledge and awareness. For all the listeners of this podcast, I also wanted to share with you my discount code for the pro version of the HRV for Training app, which is very affordable and super useful. So make sure you check out the show notes where I've put all the info. Finally, for those of you who are new here, Bertrand is the number one app for trail and ultramarathon runners of all levels. Our mission is to make trail running accessible to everybody everywhere to affordable coaching. That's why all our coaching plans cost $25 a month. With your virtual subscription, you will get a personal coach who checks in with you each week to answer your questions, adjust your training plan, and keep you accountable and inspired. This year, BERT is also the official online coaching for the UTMB Mont Blanc event and the Skyrunner World Series. That means that we have designed specific training plans for 14 different races by UTMB, including the UTMB World Series Finals in Chamonix and all the Skyrunner World Series races. 
you can discover more on our app and unlock your best finish ever with Bertrand. For those of you who want to give training with Bertrand a try, you can take 30% off your first month of training using the code RUNNINGLONG30. Here we go, without further ado, please welcome Marco Altini. Marco Altini, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Francesco. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah it's so good to catch up with you. How are you doing, first of all? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. Um, you know, work is good. Training is good. Cannot complain. How about you? Pretty good. Just got back from uh, Zagama. Uh, it was a pretty wild experience this year. So I'm glad to have made it to the finish line in, in one piece without getting injured. Um, and for the experience, which was definitely a lot of fun and a good learning experience. So yeah, uh, happy care. to be here. <laughs> so um, the whole idea behind this podcast was to talk about HRB as a useful metric to monitor our training. Um, I've been using HRB for a, a number of months right now, and um, I found how helpful it is to better understand and monitor my training load, and especially um, how stress can play a big role uh, in how I respond to training. So we wanted to give our audience um, some information on how to make the most out of it if they want to start using HRB. Um, now that it's, it's also available on a lot of um, GPS watches and apps, uh, like HRB for training, for example. Um, but before we dive in into our conversation, um, I would like you to give our audience a short presentation of who you are and what's your background in running and data science, um, computer science engineering, and also high-performance coaching. Sure. Um, well, let's say that um, I have a technical background first. So I started from the technology. I studied computer science and engineering, and then I got a PhD in data science, always in the context of um, monitoring the body and collecting data with different sensors, and then trying to analyze and interpret this data in useful ways. Um, so this was uh, maybe... 10 years ago, a bit more, a bit more maybe. Um, so during the early days, I would say of wearables and all these kind of prototypes we had to measure different things on the body that were not available on the market. So exploring what you could do by measuring brain waves or heart activity and those sort of things that triggered an interest in um, certain aspects like heart rate variability and its association with stress. And then I started working a bit more um, specifically in that uh, field, which also led to starting a small company, HRV for training and the tools that we built and that you know. Um, and then slowly, I would say, combining that type of work with the passion also for running and, and sports um, and trying to understand a bit better aspects that were not part of my um, academic background. So then I went back uh, to university just a few years ago to study also sports science and high performance coaching so that I could learn a bit better what I was just learning by doing in terms of the physiology and working with um, athletes or people that use um, tools that we make and, and, and this kind of signals. 
So that's a bit, I'd say, the path at this stage. Uh, I mostly try to run the business and communicate the science and do some of the research as well um, so that we can use these tools in a more effective way. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's uh it's pretty amazing the the work that you're doing. It's I'm a big fan of you and uh of your company, of course, and um the way you, you talk about training and present uh the complexity of training because it's a it's a problem that we're constantly trying to figure out, even by the best coaches in the world and the best athletes. And uh yeah, I would like to start right from here, like um, in terms of coaching, I think one of the most basic but meaningful questions that the co that a coach can ask to an athlete is just a very simple question: How are you? And to answer this question is like key to understand how the athlete is responding to the stress of training, but not just training, because like every aspect of our lives basically is a some kind of source of stress and. Uh, we need to understand that training is essentially putting our body under some kind of stress in order to develop a biological response that simulate like essentially super compensation uh, in our body so that we adapt and we get better and we perform in uh, in races or whatever we we want to to do we want to run and i think here the key words are stress and response which are also two keywords for the heart rate variability mechanism. So understanding these principles of, of training, like the very basic um, science of training and HRV, I think can be very useful to better monitor and understand what we're doing once we go out running. Um, I also want to cite a quote from the great distance running coach, Arthur Lydiard, that say, who said train don't strain um because a lot of time like people tend to run too hard or are not well responding to the stress of training or the training stimulus as we should say um and this is where maybe hrv hrv comes into play so um what it's what is hrv and um what would you add to my to the context that I've tried to to highlight? Yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely agree with that. I think that um, when we look at stress, we need to look at cumulative stress, right? We cannot only think about training. Um, here is when these kind of tools can become useful because they just provide an overall marker of stress, and obviously our capacity to handle stress is limited. We can only take so much. It can be training. It can be anything else that happens in our life. It can be lifestyle choices. It can be external factors that still influence us uh, psychologically or in other ways. So all these stressors will have an impact on our ability to uh, simulate additional stress, respond positively then to training and things like that. So when we try to capture this overall stress with um, traditional methods associated to, for example, um, assessing or quantifying training load, we kind of miss part of the picture because we only know about the training stimulus, for example, which we can quantify in different ways, but we still need to understand how the body is responding to that and also 
to the other stressors that play a role together with training. So here is when trade variability could be a useful uh, parameter to look at because trade variability is an indirect way to look at the body stress response. So when we face a stressor, we have a response, which typically means that part of the autonomic nervous system, the parasympathetic branch is suppressed and then it will bounce back to normal after a certain time when we have basically recovered from the stress. Now we cannot measure stress, this entity, and we cannot measure the autonomic nervous system either. We cannot go there and check your parasympathetic activity. But it turns out that the parasympathetic system will influence your heart rhythm. So it changes the modulation between beats, what we call heart rate variability. In simpler terms, even just heart rate, we know, I think all of us have experienced forms of stress in different uh, ways in which we have seen, for example, that when we are very stressed, our heart rate might be higher. If we think about maybe a situation where we speak in public or we are just very stressed for some other reasons, we know that our heart rate increases. Similarly, our heart rate variability will reduce. So that is the opposite of what happens in heart rate. And this modulation is due to the activity of the autonomic nervous system. So if we measure this variation in consecutive beats called heart rate variability, in certain situations which are typically addressed, we get an idea of the activity of the parasympathetic nervous system in response to stress. So it's a bit of a convoluted, indirected way to try to see what is happening in the body in response to stress. It is still maybe our best tool at this stage in terms of being non-invasive, um, easy to measure, and to give us a useful insight into this type of stress response. Yes, yes, uh, very, very useful. And uh, I definitely agree. You mentioned that we can only take a certain amount of stress, um, but that also changes uh, depending on the context and whatever is going on in our lives, uh, just as our response to training, um, like the same input may not get uh, or result in the same output. Um, and also like different athletes running the same workouts have different responses and different adaptations. So this is where I think that uh, HRV can be useful in addition to, yeah, the like typical training um, metrics, volume, intensity, or, or other things, but also like parameters that are also internal, like uh, RPE, like the rate of perceived effort, or, um, you know, the, maybe even the notes that we take uh, in our training diary, or, you know, whatever we feel it's useful to, to just add on top of the data that we normally collect with uh, our GPS watch, for example. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, often there is, um, let's say, um, an approach in which people try to um, contrast a lot using either a lot of data and what we could call objective metrics or just don't use anything or just ask the athlete how they feel and more subjective sort of things. And I think it's quite obvious that both are useful and it's not that you have to pick one, right? You can always talk to the athlete and 
see how they feel that is key, right? It's how you capture often many issues uh, early on, right? When your mood is not good, your energy level are not good and things like that. In other situations, you might feel good and still the response of your body might not be ideal. Maybe something else is developing underneath and we don't capture it yet, but it might already sharpen the data or the other way around. So I think looking at the external load, what you're actually doing, and then the internal load in different ways, subjectively or objectively with marker of a marker of resting physiology like HRV or just resting heart rate can all provide useful information that you can integrate uh, to make maybe some adjustments at, at different times. Yeah. Um, so let, let's dive into some more specific topics related to HRV, um, starting from when and how to measure HRV. Yeah, that's um, a good starting point because there's um, some confusion, I think, in there, especially due to uh, many different tools that can be used in different ways. And also the fact that um, there's a lot of work that is maybe a bit more exploratory that uses HB in different situations. But in those situations that are outside of the ones we will talk in a second in terms of the ideal measurement protocols, HRV might not really be representative of what we were talking about before in terms of the stress response and the biosimilar nervous system. So to get a snapshot of your resting physiology, which is a representative of stress, we can do that in two different ways. Um, one is to measure as you are sleeping, so during the night, and one is to measure first thing in the morning. So these two situations are the ideal moments to capture your resting physiology. I think um, we are quite used actually to think in those terms. Uh, if we measure I don't know, our body weight or even our blood pressure, we try to do those kind of things in situations in which um, you can repeat the same routine every day in a similar way so that you're not impacted by what we call confounding factors, which simply means all sorts of other things that you can do that will have an effect on the data in a way that is not as representative of what you're trying to capture. So when we measure HRV, since these are just measurements of the, the stress response, um, pretty much anything impacts it, right? So if you do it after having coffee or even just eating or after exercise, you will be impacted by these acute stressors, we call them, so larger stressors that have a short effect. And then the measurement will just be tightly associated to what happened right before, and it will not be representative of your underlying baseline, let's say physiological stress, which is what we wanna capture, um, which is, and the reason is because capturing that level of stress is what is useful for decision-making, right? We don't wanna exactly. see a suppression because you had coffee, we wanna, yeah, we wanna see a suppression because maybe your body did not respond well to what you did yesterday in terms of exercise and, other um, other things you, you might have done. So during the night or first thing in the morning, um, both of these methods can capture very similar um, trends over long periods of time, but they can be a bit different in the short term uh, on a day-to-day -day basis because they are obviously at different times. So the night comes before the morning. So this is the first difference. If you have, um, had alcohol in the evening, or you had dinner, maybe late, a heavy dinner, or maybe you trained late. All these kind of things 
will make it so that your physiology will be more impacted during the night than in the morning. So in the morning, you might bounce back and be within your normal range. In the night, there might still still see you might still see a suppression. So this is one of the first differences I would say that we need to keep in mind. Um, I think often, especially in the context of uh, maybe more than endurance athletes in team sports, there's often uh, athletes that have games or matches always mm -hmm. in the evening. And then in that case, night data might not be so informative because you always have a normal physiological response of a suppression after that event. Otherwise, in the morning, you might be renormalized. Um, another difference that maybe is worth mentioning is that in the morning, you can measure in different body positions. I think this is also quite important. It's one of the biggest differences with the night where you're obviously lying down. So when you measure in the morning, if you sit up, you are in a state that is not of absolute rest, like when you're lying down. So this additional orthostatic stressor of just sitting up sometimes helps to highlight a bit better your body's response because you are challenging your body by sitting up and then the response is a bit amplified. So if you had a suppression, it will be a larger suppression. Your heart rate, if it was a bit elevated, it will be a lot more elevated. So you see the stresses a bit better if you do it this way in, in certain situations. Um, that's why normally we recommend to do it that way. It does not mean that lying down is not fine. That is also fine in most situations. Also just being awake is different from being asleep. So you're already in a slightly more active state, um, less parasympathetic state, let's say. Uh, the important bit is always to do it the same way every day. I think that is key. Yeah, more than the consistency protocol. is key. Mm -hmm. Exactly, for sure. Because uh, otherwise we start adding differences just because we do it a bit differently and not necessarily because there is a difference in physiology. Exactly, just like in uh, in training. So as a, as a summary, your recommendation would be to measure as first thing in the morning, um, maybe after going to the bathroom, um, as you as I mentioned in, in some papers and tweets. Um, and it just takes like one minute of measure. So it's very practical and, and simple. And like the whole process of, you know, opening the app and uh, taking the HRV for one minute and uh, completing uh, a few other parameters that the app is uh, is asking you takes maybe two minutes and uh, in a matter of like economy for um, your your day, maybe this may be important to to point out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's pretty quick at this point. Um, in the past, uh, measurements were were a bit longer, five minutes or so. Uh, there has been more research in the past, I would say, five ten years, showing that for some specific metrics that we use to quantify parasympathetic activity via HRV, um, a minute is sufficient. Sometimes even a bit shorter. So that is, that is nice because, of course. Um, it makes quite a big difference, I would say, first thing in the morning to use one minute or five minutes. Yeah. So this way, and it's uh, it's uh, it's much easier to get high compliance from uh, most people um, that have that that spare minutes. And then, indeed, as you mentioned, this questionnaire that we have in there, so that you can also record context and subjective exactly. data, and then put all of that together. Yeah, exactly, because that is also very important. Um, I think like the um, like of course HRV should be 
not just a, a number that we measure for the sake of it, but it should help us make decisions to better handle our lives, uh, especially in relation to to training. So to want to actually understand the data and get some kind of indication out of it is uh, is key. Um, so once we've measured, uh, how do we make sense of of the data? Um, where would you start? I think it's as you pointed out, it's very important to be consistent. First of all, um, what really matters is not the value that you capture on one day, but it's like the overall trend uh, within uh, the range of uh, HRV values that you're getting on a long time period. Um, so maybe add a few words on that. Uh, yeah, if, yeah, if you can practically sure. explain how do we make sense of this data that we collect? Yeah, I think one of the um, important aspects here is that when you measure once, you have learned nothing, basically, because exactly. uh, this is not a parameter yeah, where uh, absolute values tell us anything useful, basically, um, because we don't really have a frame of reference, right? We don't even have... Uh, like a heart course. rate. Yeah, yeah. And even for a heart rate, we... We know a bit where it should be, exactly. uh, let's say for a healthy person, but still the range, anyone between, I think 30 and maybe 85 is considered healthy, right? something like that. So, so it's a big it's range. An enormous range. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> we, we, we get everyone in there. And then um, if, we, if we measure sporadically, for example, if, if as an athlete, you have a very low heart rate and then you measure a heart rate once at the doctor's office because you're sick and then your heart rate might be still i don't know 53 instead of 37 right it's an enormous difference for you but it means nothing in in absolute terms and with yeah. hrv it's similar situation but even more amplified because the ranges are even broader and you can be um, let's say on the lower end on the or on the higher end and that might have also nothing to do with your athletic abilities, for example, while we know that in broader terms, resting heart rate as an association with, for example, cardiorespiratory fitness, right? we know that as we get fitter, heart rate tends to reduce a bit. Um, with HRV, not necessarily the case. So it's really more about the stress response relative changes with respect to your own previous data and not about absolute values. So the way this works is that you start measuring and then day after day, uh, you do the same. And after a few days, the tool you're using, our app or another one, should provide you with a way to understand what is your normal HRV. And in particular, this is not a number normally, but it should be a range. So there is always fluctuations on consecutive days for a number of reasons. And some of these, of these fluctuations are small and irrelevant. Basically, it just means that everything is normal. And some of these fluctuations are, on the other hand, larger and something that where maybe we need to pay attention. And that's when our HRV is outside of our normal range. Typically, when there is a suppression outside of our normal range, that means there is some sort of high stress or negative response. And that might be something we wanna uh, pay attention to. So we annotate context maybe through um, the questionnaires and then things like that. So we know if we were traveling, if we didn't sleep much, all sorts of things that happened um, that allow us later 
to interpret the data um, because just the physiology obviously doesn't tell us anything. We need to look at what's happening uh, around the changes in physiology. And then we analyze this data in the context of this normal range and relative changes over time in response to various stresses. I think that's um, how we start building your own data set and, and try to understand what is happening and using the data in, in more useful ways than just comparing numbers with others and, and things like that. What's the minimum time range that we should um, um, collect data um, to in order to get a meaningful picture of uh, how we respond to, to stress? So the way we start uh, with the app is just after a few days, but um, I would say that you need at least a few weeks to actually be able to do something with that data. So to highlight deviations that are relevant, um, a few weeks for sure. So your research at this normal range is uh, built using one month of data normally. In the app, we use two months actually. Uh, we use a longer period because, well, two reasons. One, I think sometimes research uh, is a bit in a hurry. So they need to do a study and um, you cannot maybe uh, stretch it too long or participants uh, will not be compliant and those sorts of things that sometimes are actually easier in, in real life, let's say, when people just use these tools for years. And two months, I think, is a good time frame because you need always to keep this um, normal range current, right? You cannot rely on your normal range from six months ago because you um, might have differences in physiology just because of seasonality, for example. There's differences in heart rate and HRV just because it's summer or winter. So if you collect some data now, and then six months from now, you cannot use your frame reference, frame of reference that you built now to interpret the data. You need to have this frame of reference always updating and moving. So we use, um, this longer time window that is not too long because otherwise you get stuck in very old data. At the same time, I think making it too short as an issue from the other end, meaning that let's say that you get sick or something uh, bad happens and you have um, a down period that lasts more than a couple of days, maybe a week or two, and it's quite possible, maybe an injury, an accident, a sickness, those sort of things. If we take a very short time frame, um, just a few weeks, then that situation will become what the tool thinks is your normal, because then you have used a very short time period. I think that this almost never happens if you have a window long enough. That's why we use two months. So if you have a very long down phase, still it takes a very long time for your normal range to change. At the same time, it's not stuck in very old data. For anyone that uses these tools in practical terms, I would say always um, collect data, but don't really bother too much in the first three, four weeks uh, with what you see, just give it some time and then you will have enough to start to appreciate a bit more some of the trends and consistent responses that you see. Maybe you do one thing and you see the data changes in a certain way. And then when you do it three, four times and the response is consistent, then I think you start learning some. Thank you so much for listening to Run Long. In this quick break, I just wanted to share with you a message from one of the athletes that we coached through Bertrand named Earl. 
Earl is from the United States and in April he finished the Big Turtle 50 miler in Kentucky, beating his previous PR by over 2 hours. He says, Completing goals is a lot easier when you have a support team and a coach. I started with Bertrand in January 2022 and it's made a huge difference. I initially thought coaches were just for elite runners until I tried it for myself. The small amount I pay monthly is a steal. Coaching keeps me motivated, answers my questions, and the ongoing adjustments during training help me stay healthy. We were really proud to be able to coach Earl and watch his progress as an athlete. This is just one example of the progress that our athletes have had thanks to Bertrand. Earl is an explorer athlete who trains with our $25 a month coaching subscriptions. If you want to try out Bertrand Coaching 2, Remember that you can get a 30% discount as a podcast listener with the code RUNNINGLONG30. Back to the podcast. Okay, so we understand, we understood how to collect data and we understood um, what is the the normal range, uh, which is a concept that I feel is important to to get. Um, What if, like, if if the daily data fall into the normal range, we should not worry about it. And uh, if they fall outside of it, we should worry. And how should we change the, for example, we have a, you know, some kind of training plan or a, an intensity session planned. Um, how should we make decisions depending on even the daily HRV value, uh, whether it falls within the normal range or not? Um, in relation with training, for example? The first thing I would say when we when we use HRV is there's another thing that gets often mixed up um, when people want to rely too much on the tool is that HRV does not replace your plan, right? So as I said, you have a plan and you have something scheduled to do and then you look at your HRV and you might make a change. And in a minute, we talk about what that change could be. But we need to understand first that you should not start from HRV and seeing that everything is okay, going hard basically every day until something is not okay, because actually a lot of people do that, right? So it's, uh, um, you you are an athlete and probably have been training well for so many years that it might sound odd, but many newcomers to the technology don't even think about having a plan and a training plan. They would just say, okay, this is what the tool is saying. So I'm going hard and going hard and I'm going hard. And then the tool will say, okay, you are really messed up today and now you will rest. Obviously this is a recipe. That's just a way to influence the HRV and not the opposite. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So eventually you will get into some form of chronic stress or injury or whatever. So that's probably not a good idea. the better idea is, as you say, start with the plan, and then from there, you might make some adjustments. So exactly. in the research, what is done there, um, it's um, it has evolved a bit. Um, in the earlier days, the approach was a bit more reactive, meaning that you would use the daily data to make a change. So let's say you have a suppression in HRV today, uh, HRV below your normal range, and then you would adjust training in that case. Uh, with the more recent research, tries to use an approach that is a bit less reactive, uh, where you use not the daily score, but the baseline. That would be a seven days moving average. So it's just a 
smoother version or slower changing version of how your physiology is running with respect always to your normal range. So now in these latest papers, only if you have a suppression in your baseline below your normal range, you would make a change. Now, obviously the baseline is just, again, a seven days moving average. So it's just a, a, a slower changing signal, which means that you need a couple of suppressions, uh, two, two, three, four days in which data is a bit low maybe to see a change in there. Uh, so you, again, are a bit less reactive. Uh, you wait for a stronger stressor, as you could say, um, before you make a change. And then at that point, you implement the change. The, um, the reality, I think, of things in, in real life is somewhere in between these two approaches. Because in research, we need to use um, something like systematic where you always do the same and you try a protocol and then you see the outcome after a couple of weeks. In real life, obviously, if your HIV is suppressed today because you're sick, you're not going to wait three days before you exactly. make a change. You need a more immediate response. Uh, exactly. So I think both things matter. You don't want to be super reactive. So the way I interpret it normally is, okay, if my HIV is suppressed today, but I feel good, then I go out and see see how it goes, see how I feel also while I'm around. Exactly. And then if everything feels okay, you wait another day. The day after, you probably have bounced back and everything is normal. If you are suppressed and you are suppressed again, then clearly there is something in there uh, where you need to pay more attention. Hopefully that is a rare case. Um, so what do we do when we have to implement this change, right? So typically the... Um, the main aspect to address is training intensity more than yes. maybe volume. volume or duration. Yeah, exactly. Because obviously the intensity of the stimulus is the part that is really stressing your body. Um, and we've seen this in uh, other studies where, for example, they measured autonomic disruption in terms of heart rate and HRV just before and just after training of different intensities uh, for athletes of different fitness levels. So you can see, for example, that the fitter you are, the quicker you bounce back to normal. But you can also see that when you train, let's say below uh, first lactate threshold, let's say just easy training, right? So aerobic training or your low easy pace or intensity, you bounce back in no time, a matter of minutes and your HIV is the same as before training. Well, when you go hard, then it can take hours. So that's really the stimulus that maybe we want to try to manipulate a bit. So if you're in a situation in which HIV is suppressed, you don't feel great, or maybe HIV has been suppressed for a couple of days, then the idea is to try to reduce intensity there. And again, depending on your level, that can be a different thing, uh, practically speaking, in terms of what you actually do, right? So if you are an elite athlete, then you might just scale down a bit your workout. Um, but if you are a recreational runner that just started running, maybe it's a good day to actually don't do an intense session at all. So uh, then depending on your um, fitness level experience and things like that, I think you can interpret that a bit differently, but that would be the idea always the reduction in the intensity. Exactly. I think the, the whole idea is to be more conscious about our training and the way we again we respond to training um in order to to make the most out of it because in the end uh, like 
of course, it's about being consistent and following a plan, but most importantly, understanding how we're responding to the the training plan and the, the training that we're doing that is is the key to to progress and to to build uh, fitness. Um, good. Uh, so the next question that I wanted to ask you uh, that I think sometimes is uh, a little bit misunderstood um, is this one. Should like after an intense session, should we expect our HRV to be suppressed or not? And uh, the same for an easy session. Should we, should we expect our HRV to be in, an, in the normal range or it can depend on many other things of course we understood that training is not the only stressor in our lives so of course we might have a, an easy day in training uh, but something else happens in our lives that gives us a lot of stress so our hrv may be suppressed um so how we can we tell those two things and uh, be able to dis distinguish among those two things and uh, understand how we should or should not adapt our training. Yeah, yeah. In terms of the response, um, as I said, this is indeed something that is often misunderstood. Um, the idea that when you train hard, you expect a suppression in your HRV, for example, I think um, is not really what we expect or wish to see at least. Uh, what I mean is that HRV is the response, right? It's yeah. not the stressor, the stimulus itself. So the response, if we train well, according to whatever were our abilities at that time, should always be positive, especially because we don't measure right after exercise, right? After a hard session, for sure, our HRV will be suppressed, but we give our body some time, a few hours, uh, the morning after typically we measure, and at that point, we want to see that we have bounced back because that means that we have responded well to the stimulus. So if we see a suppression, we shouldn't really think, hey, yesterday I went really hard, this is great, this is what I was expecting. Quite the contrary. Um, exactly. If we see a suppression, yeah, then it's time maybe to reassess what we did. And the next time maybe we do a little less because our body clearly could not bounce back even in many hours. So we should always see um, HRV within normal range. Um, the best athletes out there that train many hours and definitely train hard do not have suppressions every two days like recreational athletes that cannot manage their intensity right. right? So it's, it's always um, a matter of trying to apply a stimulus that is adequate to what we should be doing at a given um, time and then the response should be always within normal range if we just think about training of course as you said there can be multiple stressors so maybe still we responded okay to training but then something else happened we do have a suppression we have no way to distinguish those kind of things right we cannot based on a physiological response we cannot say this is physical stress this is mental stress yeah. this 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 that right there is no way to do that it's just stress for the body it's all more or less the same in this context at least the way we can capture it so then it's up to us to try to understand um 
what could be driving negative or positive changes. But this is also why, uh, when looking at HRV in relation to training load, one of the simplistic assumptions is, okay, when you increase training load, you should see, for example, a decrease in HRV, and that would mean that HRV is a good marker of training load. And that's actually one of the critics. Sometimes they say, okay, there is no relationship between HRV and load. So HRV is not really capturing what is happening there. But that is because HRV is the response, right? So we're not we do uh, not looking at it the yeah, right exactly. way. Exactly. We're, we don't expect uh, that kind of relationship. And quite the contrary, actually, if training load is increasing over periods of weeks or months and we are doing well, then they might be positively correlated, not negatively correlated. So HRV yes. could also be stable or increasing over that time period. Uh, we always need to understand that it's not the stimulus, it's the response. And then in terms of the response, we really want to see things being very boring within normal range, not much up and down and suppressions after hard, um, hard workouts. And, and of course, arrays, something like that would be very different, right? There you go um, harder, uh, give what you have, and it might take longer for the body to recover. That's perfectly normal. That's also why we cannot race every weekend. But at the same time, at least most of us, but at the same time, you have um, a typical positive response as just um, an HRV within normal range and, and not a suppression. Yeah, I think this is uh, super interesting and key to understand um, the fact that HRV is the response of our body and not just an additional matrix to monitor our training. Otherwise, I think the correlation, for example, with volume or, or intensity would be was the same. Uh, it would be just an additional metric to, to basically monitor our training, but that's not what HRV means. So exactly. I think here lies the, the the key factor to to actually understand in order to to make the most out of this data and to to figure out how to use these uh, these numbers. Um, and then, like the other thing that I was thinking while you were explaining um, how we respond to training, um, yeah, like HRV should stay within our, the normal range because like none of the stimuli that we give our body should ever be too hard uh, with the exception of, of a race, of course, where we, we just try to do our best. But I think a good way to, to say it, um, and I, I'm borrowing these words from another coach uh, that is David Rush, is that we should aim for, like in general, we should aim for like B plus workouts as opposed to A plus workouts, um, meaning that for example, an A plus workout may be a really good workout that we are very happy with and that is going to impress our coach, but our body may not like it as much because the benefit that we get from it uh, may not be the best that we can get, meaning that the time that we take to recover from it or the stress that we're giving our body may be too large for what we can handle. So as a result, of course, the, the HRV would be suppressed. Whereas with a B plus workout, uh, we're doing we're giving our body a stress that is uh, is manageable that we can handle, and that our body can absorb in a, in a in a reasonable reasonable time, and so we can bounce back uh, 
pretty quickly and uh, continue our training uh, normally without suppressing our HRV. Um, so yeah, it's like, it's similar to training. I think it's like a matter of building uh, consistency, um, but like none of our, uh, none of the workouts that we do should ever like kill us or be unsustainable in the context of our lives or our training. Exactly, exactly. And doing that allows us then to be more consistent and to do the B plus workouts more frequently, maybe than exactly. what we can do with the A workouts, exactly. So just in these cases, I think the data might help some because it's just awareness at that point to see what happens exactly. a bit. Maybe we didn't even realize sometimes that we were digging too deep or things like that. Um, and that can be a bit um, eye-opening in, in some cases. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because like if you're used to a training method that we always done, we've always employed, um, it might be hard to switch or realize that maybe we're going too hard. Maybe we're not doing what is the best for for our body, for what we can handle. Maybe, you know, adding a, a recovery day or, or a cross-training session instead of a big workout uh, is the way to to progress, actually. It's not that if you always push more, you get fitter and fitter, of course, then training would be an easy problem. <laughs> um, good. So we, we also mentioned um, acute changes to HRV in response to what happens basically in our daily life. Um, but also we have long-term changes that is like, how the body is responding to, for example, long-term term stressors or the, the seasonality uh, that we go through, or maybe big life changes that may affect our HRV. Um, what's how can we interpret data uh, in this context? So, in terms of the um, acute changes, I think some of the main stressors. Uh, that we can see very consistently are linked to, um, well, hard training again, so high intensity training, um, sickness for sure, yeah. um, alcohol intake. I think what's important to understand there also for people that start using these tools or especially maybe for coaches that use them with athletes um, that they might not um, see all the time or where they might know a lot about their training but not so much about their lifestyle is that changes in HRV due to alcohol intake or sickness are typically maybe three to five times larger than changes due to training. So if we use these tools, we really need to know the context because otherwise we might see changes and assume things yeah. in terms of training responses, but it might be uh, something else. Uh, then if we if we have a regular menstrual cycle or work with athletes that do, uh, in that case, it's also we have variations in HRV uh, that are very individual. Uh, I mean that for some people, they really show up in a cyclical way in the resting physiology data. So that it might be even the main factor that you see. Uh, for others, it is um, not as obvious. So it's just something again to know as context and keep in mind because you might see, for example, um, a reduction in the second phase of the cycle, and then you might think, hey, there's a negative response to 
training or something, but it's not. It's just a normal physiological change due to hormonal changes. So once you know that that's the context, um, yeah, there is basically nothing to worry about. It's just context that you need to have to, to understand what is happening there. Um, I'll say these ones as, as main acute stressors uh, are the ones that we typically can see um, in a way that is easily reproducible and across people. Of course, traveling can also be one depending on, uh, on the type of traveling, but it is a stressor on the body um, with maybe associated sleep disruptions that also would affect resting physiology. In the longer term, I think things are a lot more complicated. We don't really know or can easily foresee longer term changes. Um, we know a bit the seasonality I was mentioning earlier. For example, HRV tends to be a bit higher in summer and a bit lower in winter. These are things, again, to know as context, because maybe as it gets October, November, those kind of months, it starts to go down a bit in many people. And again, it might be something um, just to take as a seasonal change, not something else that is driving the change. Um, but it's, it's good to know that that could be additional context. But these changes are also very individual, right? So there can be people where maybe you don't see it that much. These kind of things that we see at the population level are not obvious at the individual level. So we always need to look at the data for ourselves over periods uh, that are quite long to see if we see similar patterns for, for an individual in particular. Then uh, in the longer term for an athlete, we might have some associations also with changes in training. Um, training phases, training load, for example, if we go um, through periods in which uh, we go maybe from an off-season to yeah. starting building up again and things like that, we might see there uh, hopefully a positive response, meaning that as we start building up load, also HRV picks up a bit. Um, the, the stimulus often is good in that sense, um, in the same way that you would see also your fitness increasing um, and, and things like that. Um, resting heart rate maybe a bit reducing and so on. So I would say these are some maybe of the of the patterns that um, that we might see acutely and and more chronically related to other stressors. Um, it depends um, on individual psychological stressors, things at work maybe for people that are not um, full time athletes. But even if you are a full time athlete, right, you still have maybe contracts and other things that can worry you outside of training um and, and might also be impacting in this kind of matrix so depending on periods that are more or less dense of other stresses you might see low changes also they're creeping in not necessarily the acute large variation that we discussed based on the other stresses but things that maybe after a while start to get to you and then you might also see that uh, in the data bit yes um, I wanted to add on top of that, uh, especially in relation to the acute um, response to to stress, to training, um, that the um, subjective metrics that we uh, we can take note of uh, on a day to day basis actually really help us understand um, how the body is responding to different types of stress for example in hrv for training app you can um rate for example your sleep quality you can 
take note if uh, you were traveling the day before, if you took alcohol or like what was the um, perceived effort during your previous training session. So all of, the, all of, all of those things should help you uh, get a good picture of uh, how your body is responding to all these different sources of, of stress and in the end um, make you make help you make uh, practical decisions in relation to your training or or also your lifestyle because of course um, there are some things that we have control over uh, training is one of them um, whether we we want to drink or not uh, alcohol for example or um, or other things um, some others we don't have much control over but may be useful to understand in order to to maybe influence them or start paying more attention to them uh, it can be I don't know something regarding our diet uh, regarding our sleep um, or just any aspect or, of our daily life basically um, yeah, so in, in the end I think it's it's a lot about combining those data and um, individual metrics with uh, the objective metric that we get from the HRV measurement to to build awareness basically I I like to see HRV as a, a tool for awareness um, and to better understand ourselves and how we respond to training again um, so this is uh, it's, it's very useful in in this context. Um, a few final considerations for for athletes and especially maybe trail runners, um, since our audience is uh, is mainly trail runners. Um, for example, if okay, if you want to start measuring your HRV, should you tell your coach about? Um, your HRV, not maybe your HRV values, but if you see a suppression of your HRV, um, maybe for a few days or even for just one day, or like what is um, some advice that you have for athletes um, who want to start using this tool, um, who already work with a coach and maybe can use this information to have a better picture of how they're responding to training? Yeah, for sure. I think um, it's always good to have um, some transparency there in the yeah. relationship and to be clear about these kind of things. Uh, otherwise, we can uh, yeah create more confusion and mix up things a bit. Exactly. Um, it's important also to understand sometimes the difference between the physiology and the HRV and what a tool, an app, or a wearable might build on top of that in terms of the advice it provides you or other scores that are created that combine not only your response but maybe also your behavior because mm -hmm. that can be quite confusing right so there's some um, many wearables out there that give you readiness or recovery scores for example where the hrv is used but it is also combined with your behavior in terms of activity and sleep for example so if you sleep less some assumptions are made that your readiness should be lower. So you might get a negative score, even if your physiology and your actual physiology and your HRV, for example, is normal. So as an athlete, first try to look into that a bit more in detail and understand these differences because it's very important. Try to look at the physiology and then 
that first, the, what is built on top of that might not be particularly relevant for you as an athlete, because especially I would say as an athlete, you want to see the physiological response. The scores built on top, uh, they are there to provide some guidance, especially to, I would say, the general population and things where obviously sleep is important and activity needs to be done, not too much in the time and, and things like that. But for an athlete, you want to see how your body is responding. So that's why you should look at the actual data, um, in this case, HRV. And when you do that, um, I think it's, uh, it's it's good if you talk about it um, with your um, coach, if you're coached, so that um, at least there is a common understanding that this parameter has been looked at. And then it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to make changes. Like we said before, give it many weeks, maybe even months to start to see if there are some consistent patterns, um, if you can capture maybe some sometimes just some unfortunate situations maybe you're getting sick or something like that and you see it in the data it's just an additional flag there that can be helpful um and then see if there is room for implementing some changes but again ideally it's just confirmatory feedback that things are going well and your hrv is within your normal range um and you shouldn't see um many suppressions or variations as, as you build up uh, with your training Especially, I would say, if you're a coach athlete, so that you have a plan and you're doing things already um, the right way. So I would start that way. Let's um, see if that if that gives you um, a little extra awareness and, and helps both you and your coach maybe making some small adjustments in certain situations. Perfect. And uh, lastly, um, do you have any specific considerations or advice for trail and ultra runners? Um, so I would say this is a field where there isn't much data out there, right? So there are some studies on HIV-guided training on runners um, and cyclists in particular, but nothing uh, looking at maybe how performance would change for um, train running or ultra running, right? It's typically simple protocols where you look at 5K time, 10K time, this kind of very controlled situations. Um, I think that in terms of the training and the response and building up to basically the best fitness you can get, the principles are similar because we are just looking at stress, right? So we can extend it that way, meaning that it makes sense, even I would say outside of sport, to try to um, balance the stresses a bit better. And when you see that things are going sideways a bit, maybe try to make some adjustments. As athletes, I think, um we are fortunate because it is easy as you were saying to make changes right you can just change training a bit because if you have uh, issues in your resting physiology or other things because of chronic stresses due to uh, issues at work in the family or any other thing that might not be so easy to resolve then obviously the actual ability part is more complex, right? It's, it's not as simple as, as an athlete switch your training and then maybe tomorrow is a better day, right? So we, I think we use a similar principle and we can experiment and try things and, and see if in the longer term uh, we have positive outcomes. Perfect. Um, yeah, in the end, I think uh, as a summary, we cannot uh, expect uh, simple answers to such a complex uh, problem that is uh, training once again 
Um, this is where HRV comes into play and where the different coaching philosophy and the context and the specificity of each athlete is, is important. Um, I also would like to stress the importance of being flexible. And this is, um, again, um, a topic that is very related to, to HRV because, okay, we have a training plan, but it doesn't mean that it's like the Bible. Uh, it can definitely be flexible if we need an additional rest day or, or an easy day, if we need some extra recovery it's completely okay because in the end it's about how we respond to training, not about strictly following a plan um, in order to get the most benefits from, uh, from it. Um, so again, here is where HRV can be a, a very useful tool. And I really encourage you to, to follow Marco Altini on Twitter, to, to follow his work at HRV for Training, to download the app, of course, and to start using it. Um, and then if you have any question, I think Marco is available to answer, or you can send a question to, 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 your, to your virtual coach, um, start talking about it with your coach, and um, yeah, just uh, start looking at your data and uh, hopefully understand more about uh, how you respond to stress and uh, and training. Um, thank you very much, Marco. And um, we wish you all the best for uh, the Passatore, the historic uh, 100K road race in Italy. It's like uh, the Italian Comrades Marathon. Uh, very famous <laughs> and very tough race that is, uh, is run from Florence to Faenza across the Appennini. Um so yeah, thank you very much again. Uh, thank you, thank you, Francesco. Pleasure to be here. And uh yeah, just uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out and I will try to help. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks everyone for following. Thank you so much for listening to our great interview today. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting us with a rating and a review in your podcast player or by sharing it on social media, tagging me and Bertrand. We would really appreciate that. If you haven't already downloaded the Vertran app, I encourage you to do so. There, you can connect for free with our trail runners of all levels in the Vertran community in our in-app groups. You can stay in trail shape with our free workout videos and get affordable coaching for your next trail running goal for only $25 a month. Thanks again for being here today. Until next time, I'm Francesco Puppi. Thank you for listening to Running Long.